the other right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the Internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. I'm going to begin this episode. Uh, I'm going to be continuing the episode of... Uh, Antoinette Frank, but before we get started, with a heavy heart, I'm bringing you the sad news that Corporal Sean Kelly of the Denver Springs Police Department died um, two days ago from his injuries that he received being shot by a piece of shit in Denver Springs when he was responding to a domestic violence call and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read y'all one of the news articles and this is from the morning advocate a paper in Baton Rouge and then I'll start the episode it says a Denver Springs police officer who was critically injured in a shooting last month near I-12 that's interstate 12 y'all died Friday afternoon in the hospital the department said Corporal Sean Kelly was shot multiple times shortly before 4:30 p.m. May the 11th in the parking lot of Spring Park Plaza on South Range Avenue. Corporal Sean Kelly was a great public servant, a great father, grandfather, husband, and just a great human being, Denver Springs Police Chief Rodney Walker said in a statement. He was one of the finest men I've ever known. The Denver Springs and Livingston Parish communities have truly lost one of its finest. Police said Kelly died surrounded by his family, friends, and members of the DSPD. His remains were escorted in a procession Friday evening from Our Lady Lake Hospital to Seal Funeral Home in Denham Springs. Funeral arrangements have not yet been finalized. Kelly and other officers had responded to a call about an argument between a man and a woman 
who did not know each other outside of Petco, officials said. Once Kelly and another officer arrived, 30-year-old Justin Roberts of Denham Springs began firing at them from his car, striking Kelly multiple times. Denham Springs Police Department spokesman Sergeant Scott Sterling said in the days after the shooting that Kelly wasn't originally supposed to be at the scene. He was assigned to the traffic unit, but noticed the responding officers were busy and volunteered to help them out. Roberts fled the scene, but was soon shot down by a Livingston Parish Sheriff's deputy. After Roberts approached them with the gun, deputy said, he died from his injuries in the hospital later that night. An investigation by the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office connected Roberts to two other rage incidents that took place nearby in the minutes leading up to the shooting. Kelly began his law enforcement career in 1994 with the Louisiana Department of Corrections and other state agencies. He joined the Dennis Springs Police Department in 2019 as a taser instructor and field training officer. Kelly had received multiple accommodations for his generous ways and positive attitude as well, Sterling said. I will always remember Dennis Springs Police Department Corporal Sean Kelly as a hero Livingston Parish Sheriff Jason R. said Friday in a statement, he died doing what he loved to do, serving and protecting his community. In addition to that, he brought our Livingston Parish community together, reminded us that we are in this together, that we need to continue to work together, and that together we can do great things. At a blood drive hosted by DSPD for Kelly at Our Lady of Lake Hospital days after the shooting, Co-workers and community members flocked to support him. Sidney McCullough, a co-worker of Kelly, described him as the old man of the group and said he always made everybody laugh. Sterling announced that evening that more than 185 liters of blood had been donated that day alone. Additional drives took place across East Baton Rouge and Livingston Parishes in the days following as well. Locals organized benefit lunches and dinners for weeks afterwards to help Kelly's family with medical calls. On Thursday, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office shared photos of dispatchers donning shirts with Kelly's name from a fundraiser at Sporting Center, a local sporting goods store. Among these fundraisers included one planned for Saturday at the Dennis Springs Municipal Oaks Pavilion on Government Drive, which event organizers said will still be held to support Kelly's family. The event will last from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. with food, live music, and a car show. We're still going with it, and all the proceeds are still going to go to his family, said Casey Jackson, one of the event organizers. He still passed away. He's still not going to have his job, and his family still needs support. Dennis Springs... Police Department had also organized its own benefit for the officer, scheduled for June 10th at Lachine Brewing Company. Y'all, uh, Corporal Kelly had—I don't even think it was two weeks before the shooting—he had been uh, with his partner to our studio um, and got and talked to Jim Chapman. And Jim gave him, you know, some, some swag from RRC and local leaders of podcasts and 
bloody Angola, and uh, he was a he was a huge lifer and and a, a good friend to us and a great man. And you know, it's horrible, and and all give some and some give all, and it just breaks my heart for his family, um, his biological family, and his police officer family. And that's not just Denham Springs Police Department, but everybody, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, state troopers, Walker, everybody, you know, that knew and loved him. Um, he died. He's a hero. He was ambushed by a coward who the only positive thing out of this is is they killed him, uh, rightfully so. And he would have killed more law enforcement had they not stopped him. So I just want to say that, get that out there. Um, we have, but with Real Life Real Crime Daily, Real Life Real Crime, Local Leaders of Podcasts, Bloody Angola, we've donated some items that were auctioned off this weekend at the benefit, and we're going to do something else for them in the future. And certainly we will be there at Lachin, uh for the benefit that Dennis Springs Police Department Lachin is a brewery, y'all, in downtown Dunham Springs, and we'll be there next weekend. God bless you, brother, and uh, rest in peace. Um, you will be missed. Okay? And with that, I'm going to continue. Antoinette Frank, all right? the Y'all, I told you last time I ended it where... Uh, the shooting had occurred inside the restaurant on uh, March 4th, 1995. Antoinette Frank was on the scene after the shooting, and the, the detectives had arrived, um, and they were thinking they were lucky because there was a police officer who was there and said that she saw who committed the robbery, and she said it was several males, and they got away in a car and all this. Well... I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story, okay? The when when she was out there, the one of the surviving victims of the robbery, um, she was talking to them, and that the victim was talking and Vietnamese, and when the detectives were standing there, and she was Frank's asking her, she said, you know, what happened? What happened? And the girl finally spoke in English. She, she said, you know, you were there. Why are you asking me this? You know you were there, right? The um, so then, you know, the detectives are like, "Holy smoke! You know what's going on?" Uh, they, they began to look at at her as a suspect at the time. Um, now I told you that Frank had become a a police officer. One thing I did, I, I said wrong in the last episode, I said she had an apartment. It wasn't an apartment. She had a small house. But she was off duty, and she had gone to the restaurant with um, LaCaz twice that night. And the third time she, she went back, it was after they were closed, and she knew they would be counting money. When her and LaCaz had entered the restaurant, and committed the killings, they executed uh, police officer Williams, who was her rabbi, if you will, and he was shot uh, once 
and and the back of the neck paralyzed him, and then he went to the floor, and then he was shot two more times, and basically he was executed. And um, the responding officers found two more victims that were executed that were on their hands and knees praying. They were looking for the money that, that Antoinette Frank knew they would be counting at that time. And so the what happened was when the shots fired out, two of the family members, two of the employees uh, ran into the cooler and um, they hit. And, and Frank and LaCaz go back there in the kitchen and they execute the two victims and they're looking for the money. Now, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Chow Vu worked at the restaurant, at our family's restaurant. The detectives got there, and then once they realized Frank was a suspect, they separated her, and, and they began to interview her at a table, and they interviewed Chow View at another one. Now, Chow View says that she saw a battered red and white Ford Torino pull into the parking lot of her family's restaurant for the third time that night, and this time it was, it was just before 2 a.m. And she said she knew something bad was going to happen. She said, I just had a feeling inside something told me it was not right the driver of the torino was 24 year old antoinette frank an off-duty new orleans police officer who sometimes worked a uniform extra duty security detail at that restaurant and she said friday night's business had been slow and in the early hours of this cool and drizzly saturday morning march 4th 1995 cho's mother had already left leaving cho her older sister and two teenage brothers to clean up. Kim Ann clean up the, the restaurant, y'all, which was named the Ken Ann Vietnamese restaurant. I apologize if I mispronounce the words, but it was located on the eastern side of New Orleans, just a couple miles from Lake Pontchartrain. Dressed in a leather jacket, green blouse, and black jeans, Frank tugged on the glass door, and she wanted to get in, but the door was locked. Frank had already been to the restaurant twice since her patrol shift ended at 11 p.m. And on her second trip, she brought someone she introduced as her nephew, 18-year-old Roger Lacasse. And although Lacasse stood just five foot two and weighed 135 pounds, his mouth full of gold teeth and his attitude frightened Chow. She, and she said she didn't like him. She said, I always heard gangsters had gold teeth. Child didn't like Frank much either. Officer Williams, who ran the security detail and scheduled the other officers, had been working at the restaurant since 9 p.m. After Frank had left the second time, Williams warned Child that she was bad news. Williams didn't trust her, but although she wasn't authorized to work the detail, he had to sometimes use her to fill in for him or the other officers if one of them couldn't make it. While in the kitchen, 23-year-old child Vu was suddenly scared by Frank's sudden return. She had over $10,000 in cash spread out on the table, money her mother had borrowed to repair the plumbing and expand the parking lot. Chow grabbed all the money and stuffed it into a microwave oven. And her older sister, Ha, and 17-year-old brother, Kwong, 
were cleaning up the kitchen and saw where she hid the cash. When she saw Frank approach the door, she said, don't open the door, she shouted from the kitchen. Quack watched as Frank unlocked the door. She wasn't supposed to have a key to the restaurant. In fact, in fact, Quack's sister's keys had been missing since Frank's earlier visit that night. With the money hidden, Chow rushed into the dining room. Officer Williams stood up. He was just over six feet tall and weighed 225 pounds. And as Frank barged into the dining room, Williams asked her where she had gotten the key, but she ignored him and started pushing Chow and Quack toward the kitchen. Officer Williams turned and had his back to the door as Roger LaCasse slipped into the restaurant carrying a 9mm pistol in his hand. In the kitchen, Frank said, Chow, I need to talk to you. And that's when I heard the shooting, Chow recalled. Boom, boom, boom. LaCasse fired his first shot from close range, the muzzle of the pistol less than 18 inches from the back of Officer Williams' head. And y'all, they could tell this at the autopsy by the stifling or the tattooing. Um, if you fire and hit somebody at close range, it actually, the gunpowder comes out of the barrel and it burns into the skin. That's how they can tell how far it was. According to the medical examiner, the trajectory was almost horizontal as the bullet severed the officer's spinal cord. LaCasse fired again, striking Williams in the back of the neck and then as the officer's body tumbled toward the floor, LaCasse fired once more, the bullet tearing into Williams' back. The killer bent over the fallen body and snatched the dead officer's pistol from his holster. Then he reached into Williams' back pocket and removed his wallet. Frank gave Chow and Quack one last shove, then turned and raced toward the front. Chow grabbed her brother and a restaurant employee named Vool a 45-year-old Vietnamese woman who spoke no English and ran toward the walk-in cooler farther back in the building. Over her shoulder, she called for Hao and Quang to follow her, but they didn't move. Once inside the cooler, Chow and Quang peeked through one of the glass doors and caught glimpses of Frank and LaCaz as they ransacked the kitchen because there was no way to lock the door from the inside Chow's only hope was that Antoinette wouldn't think to look for them inside that cooler. And after Frank and LaCasse found the money, Frank snatched the cordless phone from its cradle at the bar. Seconds, seconds later, she stood over the, the kneeling forms of Hao and Quang Vu, holding the same 9mm pistol LaCasse had just used to kill Williams. At her feet, the brother and sister held hands. They prayed and begged her not to kill them. As Quack watched through the window of the cooler, Frank started shooting. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten shots. Quack wanted to run, but Chow held him back, telling him that Frank would kill him if she saw him. Quack didn't die right away. He was kind of moaning, Frank said later in a statement to homicide detectives, so she shot him again. Then she started looking for Chow and her brother. According to LaCaz, when Frank couldn't find them, she looked at him and said, one of them bitches got away. Inside the cooler, Chow and others had ducked as soon as they heard the shots, but eventually Chow stood on a rack and peeked through a window 
and looked out over a parking lot. A few minutes later, she saw Frank's car speeding away. After waiting several more minutes to make sure the two robbers were really gone, Chow crept out of the cooler and the restaurant was silent. On the blood-soaked kitchen floor were Kong and Havu, both shot dead. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those roads, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directive for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash RLRC and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash R-L-R-C. C. And Kuang Yao had been planning for a life as a Catholic priest. Chow kept her head low and made her way around the bar, hoping to find Ronnie Williams, the policeman who was supposed to protect them. And she found the officer behind the bar, face down on the floor. She said, I saw Ronnie was lying face down with all the blood around him. The bar telephone was missing. 
but under the bar, Chow spotted her purse, and in it was her new cell phone. She grabbed her purse and ran back into the cooler, and then she, she tried to call 911 but couldn't get through. She was terrified that Franklin LaCasse would return and kill them. She called again, but still couldn't reach an emergency operator, and finally, in desperation, she called a friend and begged them to call for help. She said the police officer was killed. Quark wanted to make sure the police were on the way. He slipped out of the restaurant and ran to a nearby friend's house to use the telephone. So, meanwhile, this is going on, y'all, and Frank left. But what does she do? She dropped LaCaz off at an apartment, and she hauls ass to the New Orleans Police Department 7th District Station, and she ran into the door. She told the desk officer, she said, I need a bar police car to respond to a shooting at the Kim Ann restaurant. And she grabbed the keys to, the, to one of the marked police cars and left. In the cooler, Chow and Miss Vool prayed. When Chow peered outside, she saw a marked police car cruise through the parking lot, then disappear. There is only one police car, and then I, I still don't feel safe because I know that Antoinette is a cop. Chow's instincts were correct. Frank, with a 38 revolver tucked inside her waistband, was the first police officer to arrive. She p- parked her borrowed police cruiser next to the State Farm Insurance offices and headed back into the restaurant. Within a few minutes, a second car pulled in the parking lot. It was unmarked, but to Chow, it looked like a police car. Two men got out, and they wore police uniforms. Chow threw open the cooler, bolted through the front door, and ran to the unmarked police car. The two uniform officers were Wayne Favre and, and Reginald Jacques, both veteran detectives. They had been marking an extra duty detail nearby when a call came over the radio of a shooting at the Kim Ann. Moments later, the dispatcher upgraded a call, saying a police officer had been shot. Police cars started racing to the scene. Favre saw a young Vietnamese woman running toward him from the restaurant being chased by a black woman. Favre recognized the second woman as a police officer. Behind Favre and, and Jacques, another unmarked police car skidded to a stop in the parking lot. A female officer jumped out from behind the wheel, and she was Detective Yvonne Favre, Wayne Favre's wife, and an 18-year-old police veteran. But she didn't know Antoinette Frank. Chow spotted Yvonne Favre and dashed into her arms. Wayne Favre stopped Frank and asked her where the perpetrators were. She said, in the back. Reginald Jacques crept around to the back while Wayne Favre went through the front door. Inside, they found only the murdered victims. So Chow was hysterical, but she wanted to check on her brother and sister. Um, Frank says, hey, I'm a 26, which is a police code, y'all, for an officer. Uh, Frank then looked at Chow Boo as if seeing her for the first time the night. She said, Chow, this is what I told y'all already. She said, Chow, what happened to your brother and sister? Through her tears, Chow said, you were there. You know everything. Why you ask me that question? So they entered the dining room, and Yvonne Favre saw her husband kneeling over the body of Ronnie Williams, checking for vitals. He just looked at me and shook his head, Yvonne said. In the cramped kitchen, Yvonne Favre saw the bodies of Hao and Kwong Vu. Kwong lay on his side, knees pulled up to his chest, and he had been shot six times. The bullet striking him in the head, 
chest, abdomen, right arm, and right leg. His older sister, Hal, was still on her knees, and her forehead was resting against the floor. She had been shot four times in the head, the right arm, and the right leg. With Frank standing out of sight behind her, Yvonne Farm asked Chow who did it. Chow said, Antoinette and a short black man with gold teeth had come in the restaurant. They were shooting everybody, she said. Not recognizing the name, Yvonne asked Antoinette no, who Antoinette was, and Chow pointed Yvonne Favre to the officer, Antoinette Frank. Homicide investigator Sergeant Eddie Rance and Detective Marco Dima arrived at the Kim Ann restaurant about 30 minutes after the shootings. Frank told the two detectives she'd been in the kitchen getting something to drink when she heard the gunshots in the dining room. Unarmed and without a radio to call for help, she claimed to have hustled some of the restaurant workers out through the back door, then jumped in her car and raced to the police station to report the shots. Frank said that at the station, she told the desk officer who, what had happened and grabbed a police car and returned to the restaurant to help moments before the other officers arrived. Now, while working a homicide, one of the first things Sergeant Rentz does is get to know the crime scene. And as he walked through the bloody scene at the Kim Inn, he, he noticed that the screen door at the back of the restaurant was locked and made him wonder about Frank's story. So we went back to her, and that's when he started... She started talking about Roger LaCaz, Rance said. I asked her if she had a gun on her. She told me no. The detectives heard a different story from Chow and Kwok Vu, and after hearing it, Rance walked up to the chief of police who had just arrived on the scene. He said, I told the chief, we're about to book this motherfucker, talk about Frank Y'all, for first-degree murder. She told me she didn't have a gun, but I started patting her down and I found one. From her waistband, Rance, Rance pulled a thirty-eight revolver. Her behavior, behavior and attitude stunned even seasoned homicide detectives. She is, without a doubt, the most cold-hearted person I've ever met, Rance said. Rance sent a team of detectives to find Roger LaCasse, and he and Demma took Frank into custody, handcuffed her, and drove her to the homicide office. On the third floor of the police headquarters were the homicide detectives, her office, Rance and Demma, interviewed Frank for several hours. And in a tape statement, Frank maintained that LaCasse had killed Officer Williams, but confessed that she had killed Ha and Kwong Bu in the kitchen. She said she had executed the brother and sister because LaCasse had made her do it. And according to her statement, Rogers handled, handed her the gun and he had, that he had shot Williams with, and pressed the dead officer's pistol against her head. If she hadn't shot the two young Vietnamese, LaCasse would have killed her. Detectives asked why she hadn't turned the gun on LaCasse and shot him instead of killing Hong Kong, or why later she hadn't used her police radio, which they had found under the front seat of the car, to call for help. All she said was, I was too scared. I was frantic. Explaining why he thinks... Frank grabbed a police car and rushed back to the scene. Sergeant Rance later said, there's no doubt in my mind she went back to kill the rest of them. Isn't that crazy, y'all? Um, so they got her under arrest, and they began to dig in the relationship, and they found out about her and LaCaz's relationship and that he was a dope dealer 
Uh, you know, like I told you before, he had even rode with her on duty and been seen driving her car. They had been stopping and robbing people using the police lights. Um, he's just a piece of shit. I, I mean, so the week before the, the murders, y'all, the, um, Frank had gone to the evidence room and taken out a 9 millimeter pistol, but then she reports it stolen. It was bred a 9 millimeter pistol, but then she reported it stolen. Um, and LaCasse was actually at her house when the police officer arrived to take the report. Um, later on, she admitted that the gun hadn't really be, been stolen. And on the day of the robbery, a couple of hours before her shift, which was from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., Frank and LaCasse went to a Walmart together to buy 9 millimeter bullets. And y'all, two, two months before the robbery, New Orleans police detective searched Officer Frank's house looking for her brother, Adam Frank Jr., who was a wanted fugitive from Opelousas, Louisiana, who had been staying with her. Adam Frank was wanted on two counts of attempted manslaughter and a probation violation. Adam Frank Sr., Antoinette's father, I told y'all, had been living in, in her house, but he went missing. Now you go back to it, again, I told y'all about how she applied for state police and got denied because of the um, felony psychological part. Well, it turns out that she also really failed the, the New Orleans Police Department's hiring process, but they hired her anyway. But, I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. During the investigation, the, the pre-employment investigation, they found out that in early 1992, Frank uh, began her, the quest to become a New Orleans police officer, and almost from the start, there were problems. On both her application and during an interview with the police investig investigator assigned to conduct her background investigation, she lied and told a story about being transferred from a Walmart in Opelousas to the one in New Orleans. But the Opelousas store personnel department told the investigator that Frank had been fired for personality conflicts and other associates and was not eligible for rehire. Despite the lie, the police investigator rated Frank as an acceptable police applicant. The, um, and in March 1992, as part of the application process, Frank took the standardized personality test assessment, two of them, y'all, and the psychologist who reviewed her test scores ranked her as poor, the lowest score possible in the areas of tolerance, open-mindedness, and impulse control, and ranked her as below average in stability, maturity, and the probability of adjusting to organizations. Among other concerns, the psychologist cited Frank's extreme lack of tolerance and flexibility and su suggested a psych evaluation. Uh, at the conclusion of the psych evaluation, the, psych, the psychiatrist who interviewed Frank rated her as unacceptable in integrity, forthrightness, and willing to accept responsibility. The doctor basically said, no way should you hire her. And a few days after that, in January 1993, Frank disappeared for, um, after meeting with her attorney in a downtown office building. She disappeared and... She left a suicide note, y'all, and it said, I was doomed since the day I was born. I hate myself and I hate my life. But she turns up two weeks later 
and the New Orleans Police Department hired her in July of 1993. It's crazy. And I told y'all that she graduated from the academy, top of her class and everything else. Now, I'm kind of summing the rest of it up for you. The, uh, when she had dropped LaCaz off, remember he took uh, Officer Williams' wallet. She dropped him off at an apartment, and y'all, 15 minutes after shooting, they've got him at a gas station using Williams' card, Officer Williams' card, to get $15 in gas. And they called him. Um, he he admitted that he had been at the restaurant earlier with Frank, but said he was across town shooting pool with his brother when the robbery took place. And But according to the statement his brother gave to the police, LaCasse told him Antoinette really fucked up. Rogers admitted to his brother that they had planned the robbery for about a week and that he had shot the policeman, but said Frank had shot the other two. The jury heard when they go to trial, y'all, they said they tried them separately. LaCasse went first, and um, the jury in LaCasse's trial got to hear him, the tape statement he gave the detectives the morning after shooting, and he explained that Frank was mad at Officer Williams. He said, Ronnie always be fucking her over. He said he'd been messing her over, and the Vu family didn't say anything or do anything about it. According to LaCasse, she was going to get them motherfuckers. And in the trial, LaCasse, he, y'all, he acted like his own attorney and shit. And he denied being at the restaurant during the shootings. Uh, but the one thing he could deny was that he'd use Officer Williams' credit card to buy $15.29 worth of gas. And I said 15 minutes, 45 minutes after the murders. His attorney, who was assisting him, said if Rogers had not used the credit card, he would have gotten off. In July 1995, just four months after the gruesome murders, the jury found LaCasse guilty of three counts of first-degree murder and sentenced him to death by lethal injection. And he went to prison, and basically, it's like everybody else, he denies uh, um, any involvement. And he you know, proclaims his innocent, innocence and... He said he's as much as a victim as Ronald Williams and Howe and Kwong Bu. So anyway, when he was in prison, he received a note from Frank, and it was short and said, stick to your innocence. I'm proud of you. God keep you. So later, uh, six weeks later, Frank's trial began after LaCaz's trial. And during her trial, the jury actually went to the restaurant and toured the uh, murder scene and in the kitchen Detective Marco Dema showed jury members where, where they had found the bodies of Hao and Quang Bu. He said, you can see it. It's a small, confined area, and the bodies were close together on the floor. And even though Frank's defense team had subpoenaed 39 potential witnesses, they didn't call any of them. And in October 1995, the jury sentenced Frank to death for the murders of Officer Ronald Williams, Ha, and Quang Bu. Um, and then they, I mean, they sentenced her to death by lethal injection. Now, check this out. Um, remember I told you she had reported her father had gone missing, and a month after the jury sentenced her to die by lethal injection, a dog uncovered human bones under the house where she lived with her father, who she had reported missing two years before. 
and experts who examine the remains, an arm, a leg, sections of the spine, and a skull. Uh, they found that the skull had a bullet hole in it, y'all, and they were unable to make a positive identification, but they had determined that those are of the remains are of a man about the same age as Frank's father. Um, and from death row, Frank denies any knowledge of the skeletal remains and refuses to provide DNA samples for comparison. Y'all, they pretty much just kind of wrote it off. I mean, she's going to die by lethal injection anyway. She's convicted of three murders. They don't have to prosecute her for the murder of her dad. So after seven years on death row, she continues to file appeals, um, and she's claiming she's a victim of post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, that her father calls for her and all that, and in the appeals, um, her lawyers want a new penalty phase and a chance in front of a jury that could change her death sentence to a life sentence. I'm going to tell you what did happen. Lacaz did an appeal, and he got his change to a life sentence, but Frank didn't, okay? And... The, I'm going to take you to what I know about it now. Now, she she goes in. She had, like, a, a death date of, of 2008, and it got delayed and everything. And to this day, she is still alive uh, at the women's prison in St. Gabriel. And the um, I can tell you from lifers who were in as Prisoners and the great, great people—they made a mistake earlier in their earlier in their lives, but they paid for it. But they said when she got there, being Antoinette Frank, that they shut everything down. Every time they moved her, uh, um, they they shut down all the walls. They shut the whole fucking prison down. They locked them down, and anytime she was moved, she's handcuffed and shackled to a waist chain, and she had two. A correctional officers on either side of her. Now, even though she's housed as technically as death row in the women's prison, that she still gets her hour out a day. And anytime she gets out, they shut down the whole prison. This was told to me by not only prisoners that are uh, former prisoners of there, but also a correctional officer who worked there. And she said, Woody, that lady was super fit and we knew she was trained in you know all hand-to-hand combat and all the police tactics and everything uh and you know basically she's gonna she's sentenced to death she's got nothing to lose by trying to escape and trying to kill another correction officer she said anytime they moved her everything was shut down is on the strictest strictest um security For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. Another friend of mine who's a huge lifer who goes there for medical reasons to um, look at inmates said the same thing, said that she actually examines Antoinette Frank and that she just is a smooth talker and everything. You would never know that she had executed those three people. 
Uh, um, and the correction officer actually told me, she said she was a smooth, smooth talker, said butter would melt in her mouth, right? Um, another lifer who was doing some type of internship for the Department of Corrections said one day she had to go to the women's prison, and it just so happened while she was there that they were moving Antoinette Frank from one spot to another, maybe her exercise or whatever, and she said they locked me down. They loved what, so they consider her, and rightfully so, to be one badass motherfucker. And, and the, you know, she's done her appeals where, and where LaCaz is now sentenced to Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola for life. His sentence got changed. Hers did not. She is still up for the death penalty, and one day they're going to execute her. The problem is, in the state of Louisiana now, the governor and the attorney general are fighting over the narcotics used um, in the execution, and it's just a big shit show. Uh, I suppose once this governor gets out of office next year that the they're going to move forward. They'll find the, the, um, the, the drugs needed to continue edu- the executions and all these assholes that are backed up, they've been waiting all these years with, with death sentences, they're going to start putting a needle in them as they should be. Um, Antoinette Frank, absolutely just a monster, an absolute monster. You know, the three that she killed that they know of, the robberies. There was even another... Um, time that she and LaCasse had pulled somebody over that LaCasse had just gotten a fight with at a party or something, and one of the dudes ran off, and the other one had like a Tech 9, the shittiest pistol in the world, and they were fighting him on the side of the street, and somebody else pulled up and saw it, and she said, hey, hey, I'm a police officer. Um, this is the bad guy, and they helped. Uh, I think he even shot the gun like once or twice, and they helped subdue him and they arrested him. And she charged him with, with attempted uh, murder and, and whatever else, batteries and shit like that. So she was just a bad seed, had always been a bad seed. And NOPD hired her even after they knew she lied numerous times and failed every fucking psychological test in the world. And guess what? Those tests ended up being right. One day, she's going to have to pay the ultimate price. Yeah. One day, they're going to take her to Angola and strap her down. She'll spend the last night in the death house, and they're going to strap her down, and she's going to ride the needle, and she'll rightfully so. Um, it goes to show you good and bad in every profession, right? You got Corporal Sean Kelly, who was murdered by a piece of shit like Frank just responding to a call, right? He's ambushed and, and he's deceased and gave his life to protect and serve him. And yeah, I, I believe Sheriff Arb was right. He died doing what he loved. Um, Antoinette Frank killed Officer Ronald Williams, who at one time had been her rabbi, you know? So you have the good and bad in every profession. And I'm going to conclude this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Thank you all for listening. I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Go check out Bloody Angola. 
It's a podcast I do with uh, Jim Chapman. It's rising to the top of the charts. The numbers are phenomenal. I want to thank you all for it. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It's all kinds of different stories and uh, from uplifting to the worst of the worst in the prison. Um, Real Life Real Crime Daily. Check it out, people. It's like I call it the Howard Stern of crime. I mean, it's fun. We have a lot of fun doing the show, but we report serious news, uh, relevant news that's happening currently, and we do a lot of other things also, different segments like mile high crimes and uh, kinky crimes and um, they stole what and dumb criminals and stuff like that. It's a great show. Y'all go check it out. And don't forget to download the Real Life Real Crime Community app. It's free in the App Store. I'm going there and answering everybody's questions first because I have all this other social media and people sending messages to all these different places. And hell, sometimes I don't get to read them for a week, right? So if you want to me to respond to you directly, the Real Life Real Crime Community app has forums and chat groups and games and news updates and store case updates and everything else uh, and it's censored only by me so you won't get put in facebook jail and so y'all go down now load that and check it out it has uh, real life real crime daily on it it has my show regular real life real crime um it, well, you always see the advertisers for the next bloody angle episode and I mean, I think there's over 18 or 19,000 people in it right now. So download the app. It's for free. Check it out. Patreon and Convicts and our Apple subscribers, I appreciate you so much. You're going to be getting double the amount of episodes that you have now within two months. And it's going to come some every week. Within two months, I'm going to double the size of the bonus episodes I have locked up in the vault for y'all in you will be getting your commercial-free early releases. Today, you're going to get this late. No doubt about it. it um, is it just a wild last week and, and tough weekend? But it doesn't matter. From now on, you're going to get them way early, like we used to do, you know, at least five to seven days early, commercial-free, unedited, raw and unscripted. You get to hear all the boom gems and the fuck-ups and – everything else and uh if we owe y'all something let us know and email cindy at realliferealcrime.com you want to submit a case to me get all all the facts together that you can on it and email me woody at realliferealcrime.com i'm getting like 30 a day y'all and it's hard as hell for me to try to keep them all in one place and i'm going to work a lot of them i'm going to at least tell the stories so those are becoming in Oh, let's see what else. The I just love and appreciate all of y'all. Thank you so much for consistently making us in, in the top 50. And, you know, made us high as number one. It's awesome. I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. The uh, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. Oh, back one, one more second. Miss Barbara Blunt, y'all, the, her case is still active. We, I need your help. Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office needs your help, and somebody knows something. And yes, we know a lot that we can't tell. And, and remember, murder, there's a statute of limitations on murder, but we need your help, okay? We need that one piece that takes it beyond a reasonable, that makes it 
to beyond a reasonable doubt and not just probable cause. So I'm going to give you the tip line number. It is 313-757-2847 or 313-RLRC-TIP. So y'all continue to call those in. I'm going to be getting with Sheriff Hard soon, and we're going to do uh, an episode um, when we can get it lined up. We need your help. Can't do it without you, people. We've done it in other cases. We did it for Courtney Coco. We did it for Mary Poche. The, um, let's let's do it. We got to tell Kim Womack's case that let's do it for Barbara Blunt. Okay, let's bring her home. And Lopa, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Y'all know it's my jam. Uh, they're a nonprofit. They save lives every day. Uh, unfortunately, Corporal Sean Kelly, he was he was an organ donor, but unfortunately, due to complications he had during his time in the hospital, he he wasn't able to be. Um, they weren't able to to use his gift of life, right? And and so the chances that you, the your organs will ever be used or slim to none. Uh, um, but if they are, then you're a hero in death. You save lives. And you don't have to be from Louisiana to uh, be an organ donor. Go to lopa.org, fill out the two-minute questionnaire thing, and... Um, Submit it if if you're a lifer from Afghanistan and you want to, but you know sign up with Lopa. Go to lopa.org, fill it out, and you don't have to be from Louisiana. They'll get you in the system, and you can be a hero, right? And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time, or ever. Don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? 